0: Senator Cory Booker, it is so good to see you, and it's so fitting to start these conversations about the faith factor in politics and in the 2020 elections with you, somebody who's never been apologetic, to express your faith, to say you're shaped uh, by your faith and your priorities and policies. Uh, why is this always been natural and comfortable for you to be a person of faith in public life?
1: Well, well first, I just want to say how, how good it is to sit down with you. You are uh, a person that has peace at your core. And I know that doesn't mean you don't have um, tribulations, but the the energy that you have is always, every time we encounter itself, it's almost nurturing to me. And, and this is um, really a valuable time to have this moment with you. And I know other people are listening, but I'm just grateful to sit in your presence. I come out of a, a faith tradition um, where I was raised in, in what's called the black church. and me, Yes, exactly. And my, my, my parents were people that introduced me to a faith that did not shrink away from violence and bigotry and hardship and the wretchedness of life. It was actually – a part of a faith understanding and it is almost this understanding that you know faith is really not letting wretchedness and despair and have the last word and it's almost a surrendering in, in, in amidst life's trials to this understanding that you are this this liberating understanding that you are a child of God and it's a really a radical conception and that word radical was really a part of my faith upbringing that if you believe in god it should be utterly life-shaking to you um this conception of the of the divine it it should be humbling to you which i don't think we see enough we see the arrogance of faith at times but but my 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 parents taught me this faith that you look at every one of god 's children seeing a reflection of the divine people made in the image of God, and the first reaction to that should be awe and humility and and I find I, I laugh sometimes with my dear faith friends sometimes that this idea of loving your enemy is so hard for me that there are times when i 'm talking with somebody who's coming at me with anger and hurt. And I I have to say the words in my mind to get myself centered that I love you in order to start trying to, trying to, and I fail often operating from that sense. So for me, coming out of the um, African-American experience in this country, which has been so marked by horrible setback, having to endure immeasurable and imaginable pain, but yet still growing more faithful as a result – um. um I, I think that that is sort of the foundation. A lot of the speaks to a lot of the foundation of who I am.
0: Let's cut to the chase with that radical conception that you just named of the image of God in every one of us. So last night, President Donald Trump held a rally in North Carolina, and after lying about and demonizing uh, a woman of color who's a member of Congress, Congresswoman Omar, the crowd chanted in response, send her back, send her back. Now, this is a political issue already. It's going to be an issue of patriotism and what's American and not not American. But it's also, how is this a faith issue? How is what we saw last night, not just a political issue, a patriotic question, but really a faith issue as well? So,
1: I mean, the Bible has those crowds, right? A number of occasions where Jesus deals with jeering and chanting crowds. And and those who whip that up and those who traffic in hate and bigotry for their own political purpose, um, the Bible doesn't deal kindly with that kind of demagoguery. And so what I, what I... And again, I, my framing of the world in a political town is not right, left, Democrat, Republican. Um, it is it is trying to find the wisdom to to be a leader that can reveal commonality, common ground and, and ignite radical love. And, you know, this morning I started with James chapter one, the first, uh, you know, five verses, that fifth verse where I started my prayer this morning with just asking God for wisdom in all this. And can I be someone – because when I'm hurt, I want to lash out at times, and when Donald Trump hurts folks, I think he he there is an understandable human reaction to meet his um, ugliness with our own. I remember um, one of my favorite stories to tell that happened to me on the trail was getting ready to bound onto a stage in in um, in Iowa and having a big guy seeing me a big guy former football player and, and this guy seemed like he could be a linebacker for a big team and he puts his arm around me and goes, dude, I want you to punch Donald Trump in the face. And I look at him joking and I say, dude, that's a felony. And and I said, I want to tell you why love is the best strategy to beat him and that the way I've seen us in history overcome bigotry and demagoguery, the words Donald Trump used sound eerily familiar with the words of, of, of Wallace, Governor Wallace. Remember the the demagogues of that time would accuse their opponents of being communists. Donald Trump has just done that and and a lot of the language yeah. he 's using are the language that the know nothing party used to try to stop Irish and German Americans from immigrating to our country. It is eerily what my parents watched in black and white i 'm seeing in full color now, but the question is is what does what should that call out of you and and it 's hard and but that 's where my faith kicks in. Um, and, and where I, I, I fall to my knees and found, find the strength to continue what, what I think is the right pathway because Bull Connor was beaten um, by people of, of faith that did not bring bigger dogs or more powerful fire hoses. They brought unarmed truth and uh, unrelenting love. And what they did in that moment, in that moral moment, not a partisan moment, they expanded the moral imagination of this country. They drew out the consciousness of this country that could no longer sit quietly in New Jersey or Iowa looking afar. Um, It it motivated them to meet that darkness with their own light
0: and their own engagement. You're a Democratic candidate for President of the United States, and you and all the other candidates have been clear, and you were just articulate again about why we have to beat Donald Trump. But more than any other candidate, you have talked about the need for the nation's healing. Uh, If Donald Trump is defeated and you were the president of the United States, what would you try and do along these lines for the healing? Lincoln said we should, leaders should appeal to our better angels, and Donald Trump's appealing to our worst demons and calling them out. So you want to beat. Donald Trump you're running for president but you also see the need for the healing of the country. I hear that more from you than anybody else. Well can I just first speak to the why that is a
1: need and why my party can make a mistake now? Um I'm I'm not running because I want to beat Donald Trump. That is it. That is a floor not a ceiling. It's gets us out of the valley but it doesn't get us to the mountaintop. What I what I I believe that the Donald Trump is a deeper symptom of Of a lot of challenges we have in our culture, and and again, there's a lot of twisting going on in our culture with social media, and you know we we now are a culture that seems to mistake wealth with worth, celebrity with significance, um, moral growth often with material gain, and and so if if Democrats win. By punching Donald Trump in the face, by accentuating our differences, we could win the White House but still lose the country. Mm-hmm. And what we need to get back to is a new American majority, which is what we achieved in past generations. It was not Democrats that de- defeated Jim Crow; mm-hmm. um, it, it was Americans that de- defeated Jim Crow by creating a new majority in our country. And and so if we can't if we win offices but fail to heal rifts. We we are not going to be able to do the bigger things that our country needs. And so, my prayer, my, my, my humble prayer, because this is a campaign where, in many ways, I'm evidencing individual ambition, but I'm trying to be true to, as one of my friends counseled me in a faithful way, they said, scrub clean your intentions in all of this. This is not about you, it's about the values and ideals that are bigger than you, that you should be loyal to beyond. Out, in, individual outcome in this election. And so my 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 belief is that this is a moral crossroads, that the outcome of this election won't necessarily show. Um, just winning is not enough. Mm-hmm. We've got to find a way to,
0: to restore the fabric of this country. Well said. Well said. Now, as you know, sometimes candidates want to show their faith-friendly by quoting a scripture, uh, often given to them by maybe one of their staff members. (laughs) You talked about a scripture from your morning's devotions here. What people might not know about you is how much religious knowledge you have, even about other faith traditions. You have studied and read and been engaged for many years uh, with religion, with faith, and in a very collaborative, interactive way with people of other faith. You're very knowledgeable about faith.
1: Yeah. Well, I, first of all, I think that if we ever get comfortable in our faith and it's not a struggle, it's not a wrestle, I I think it's almost like as an athlete, you get flabby, you you, you get susceptible. And I have I've found such a growth in my Christian faith by the first faith I really d- dove into, uh, dived into was, was Judaism. And it, it expanded my understanding of the Old Testament in ways that I I rejoice and glorify right now. Understanding Jesus in his human context, which was as a as a Jew, and and then it, that led me to studying Hinduism, which I found because I loved Gandhi and I couldn't understand. I didn't, you always love Gandhi. Oh, it's, <laughs> he is. I, and and my pathway to Gandhi was a minister named named Martin Luther King that that, that would elevate that and. And, and that led me to studying Islam because I was wrestling in, in especially around the time of nine eleven with the perversions of Islam that were there. And so again, it's it goes to this idea that um, there has to be this sense of humility before all of God's creations and the faith traditions that are around us, especially when I live in a pluralistic society where I want to find common that common ground. Uh, with others, as, uh, with others who might have different faith traditions or not have a faith tradition, so I, I, my life has been so enriched. And if you're a Christian, if there's any, if I can be so bold as to give you any advice, I know for for me, Jesus is the way, Jesus is the light. But I, I think that Jesus's radical love would have done the same thing because the Bible even says that to to know someone is to understand them. And to take the time to truly understand um, other faiths, I I think it will force you to wrestle with some conceptions and make you a stronger Christian.
0: And despite your knowledge of religion, which would make you uh, uh, very comfortable in many seminary contexts, talking to theologians, which you've done, you also say this, before you tell me about your religion, first show it to me in how you treat other people.
1: And I think that that is what Jesus has said um, consistently in his in his teachings, which, you know, we know this from our scripture, faith without works is dead. And if I want to know how Christ lives within you, you, you shouldn't need words. Um, you sh- it should be, as I sit with you, I feel the, the, the energy in you. I, I witness it through what you do, through the, your humble servants service of not just God's other children, but especially those people who are most marginalized or maligned in our society. And so I have met the most gloriously religious people who probably couldn't quote one piece of scripture, but show me um, that God is living and vibrant within their hearts.
0: You've said things like, I'd rather – I've been with loving, caring atheists who I like better than some mean Christians. (laughs) Yes,
1: yes. And I – I, and, I, and this is my fault, and I admit it to you. But I get very disappointed with Christians who preach well but act wrong. And it, and and i and I shouldn't. I should be at one of the things I liked about the, the Dalai Lama having a chance to interaction with him is just this joy that he has. This ever events. This imperturbability. Um, the, the, in Hinduism, they they reveal they love the the lotus flower because it. It's a flower that blossoms amidst muddy water and sits peacefully, floats peacefully above it all. Um, I don't have that grace yet. Um, and I get very often annoyed by fellow Christians who, who, who can speak so fervently toward the Bible, but it doesn't seem to live within their actions. And I do not want to cast judgment, but that meanness, especially towards the vulnerable, that callous disregard um, frustrates me.
0: My brother, you're not, you're not the only one who struggles with that, so I confess my struggle with that, too. Uh, I hear your mother was a Sunday school teacher. Yes. And for most of us, our formation of faith is because of, of particular people who we've known or whom we've read, uh, whose words made a difference, theologians, uh, organizers. Uh, who have been some of the, the people who have been most formative in your life of faith?
1: So college was my biggest struggles, um, where where a lot of my uh, my faith was shaken a lot just because of um, difficult questions. If if Jesus is my savior, what about people that don't believe in Jesus? Mm-hmm. And and I really struggled during those tame terms. And there was um, two pastors in college, uh, 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 Pastor Gray and, and Floyd Tompkins. The, um, Bob Gregg and 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 Hopkins, who just were lights to me, grounds to me, allowed mm-hmm. me to have these very difficult conversations with them in a in, in a safe area where I was questioning my faith and precepts of it, and challenged me to go deeper into study and um and 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 understanding it, but also witness and um really at that point where I was making my decisions of where to work. I mean, I I knew I was going to work in urban. Uh, 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 city environments, um, really in the East Palo Alto area where I was encouraged to go. And and Floyd Tompkins, this incredible black minister who lived like I do in a very difficult neighborhood, Mm -hmm. even though he had choices, um, it was folks like that that really helped me at a formative point. And then um, I always say that was the ignition point. And, And then if I have my way, I would uh you you were generous to hand me the galleys of your next book it's it's where i now find my sustenance in 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 through study and, and 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 conversation now and and in the senate it's actually been a blessing you know i you know uh there's a great pastor Barry black who who you know uh the chaplain of the senate who right when i was making this decision really uh encouraged me with, a, with a, some different parts of scripture to think about conceptions I had never really thought about. It was in Bible study with him that he had, I still remember one Bible study where he was really ta- speaking about the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And I had just never focused on the passages with that. He gave me some great advice bef- before this presidential campaign that has led me to a li- a period of, and it's only been since February, but a fervent f- prayer and surrender and, uh, um, um, an a prayer life experience that I feel like this campaign has gifted me, that has enriched my life in in ways that I know whatever happens on the other end of this campaign will forever
0: alter my relationship with God. So, those who listen to this conversation uh, will be challenged with the public perception that Republicans own religion; they are the only religious people, and Democrats are often reluctant. Uh, to speak about it. Um, And so um, I wonder if that can change in this election year of 2020. Uh, Could Democrats almost... Again, we don't want to use religion for partisan purposes. Um, uh, That um, Jesus is somehow being politicized. The religious right politicizes religion. And I'm not in favor of a religious left that does the same. But how could... The idea of our being accountable to faith, uh, be a part of the um, as you're saying here. You try to be part of what Democrats say also in this election year of 2020.
1: So let, let me first use it in the secular space. When I see politicians using patriotism as a way to divide or as a as a sword with which to attack other Americans, I always my back goes up right away, and I realize that to me patriotism is love of country. And you can't love your country unless you love your fellow countrymen and women. And and I think patriotic love is a radical thing that says that if your family doesn't have access to great public schools, then my family is less off. And I think that it was patriotic love in the civil rights movement that drove people, Goodman, Cheney, Schwarner, black, white, Christian, Jewish, to put their lives to die together. No greater love hath a man than this, than to give his life and, and 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 I celebrate that, and, and I want to be a leader that talks to, about patriotism in the same way. And now when you shift to the religious – I think there's some parallels here because often people wield religion as a way of distinguishing themselves. I am the faithful. You are heathen. You're not really, – it's to use – to indulge in that which Jesus warned us about in judgment of others, not humble servants or unconditional love. But to use religion as a weapon against others, to draw lines, and that's when i I think what what often makes uh, makes Democrats hesitant to talk about religion because they don 't want to feel like they are in some way talking down to people or being um, being uh, uh, um, polluting a political space where you 're trying to draw commonality by creating divisions or suspicions or triggering within people who feel judged or feel looked down upon because they're not religious. And I reject that. Um, I want to unapologetically talk to who I am because, look, we, I have Irish friends of mine who joke from their speeches about – celebrate their Irish heritage in the public sphere and we all love that. As an African-American, I want to say, hey, I grew up as a black guy in America. I'm not ashamed of that. But deeper than my race or my Jersey pride, which I talked about, deeper than any defining part of my being – is my faith. And if I divorce that from public dialogue, then I am not sharing with the country, the, the my constituency, the truth of who I am. And I believe my faith is not judgmental. It does not draw lines. Um, uh, it is inclusive and it is um, it is fundamentally related to patriotic love um, in a society that celebrated so much, celebrated religious diversity that they wrote it into our constitution, and and so I feel like you are blunting your truth, you're blunting your ability to connect, and and I see sick Americans who boldly wear their turbans, I see my Orthodox friends who unapologetically wear their yarmulkes, and I rejoice in them, and and so. I want to try to, and if anything, the epitaph of my political career, one of the things I'd like to know is that I was one of those people that called us all to live more authentically the the trueness of who we are and in that liberated others to do the same, not in conflict or drawing lines, but create more unity through that, more unapologetic truth through that where we, by each of us shining our light. Brightly, recognize that actually we're all part of the same light and the same brilliance
0: and the same luminescent glory. So being unapologetic about your faith in Jesus Christ for you, you don't want to alienate by doing so and saying so people of other faith or no faith tradition at all. You don't want that shouldn't alienate people if you're in fact reaching out to all of them. Yes, no.
1: And I I hope that when I talk about my faith that as I said, two fundamental aspects of my faith the first and foremost is i am god okay so you that's a fundamental thing is a belief in god and that the first trigger of that should be humility so i want people to know that that's the the first thing is my humility before god and all his i am not
0: god yes we are not god yes our party doesn't own god
1: yes and then the second thing is the love of jesus christ which is liberating. I talk about it. I get emotional. This radical love. He loved sinners. He loved um, those who were, were stones thrown at them by the crowd. That to me is so cleansing and healing that I am loved and that my calling is to love as well. And so I want people who meet me. I don't, as I remember, I said, I don't want to tell them about my religion first. The first thing I would like for you to encounter when I'm at my best, because when I'm at my worst, I can be bad. <laughs> but when I'm at my best, I want them to feel my humility before your the divinity in you. As another faith says, namaste, the divinity in me recognizes the divinity in you. I want you to feel that and see my humility in that. And then I want you to feel my my love. And that to me is so much of what our country needs right now at a time of growing hate and uh, um, violence and What's even worse, as King said, we have to repent for not just the vitriolic words and violent actions of the bad people, but the appalling silence and inaction of the good people. I hurt that people don't see a prison system that is such a, an attack on the on on us as a society. It's an indictment of who we are to see what's going on at our border. Regardless of, we all want security, but do but we it doesn't necessitate our, the assaults or or just the mentally ill person. That, that is on the streets, the veteran, this, this sclerosis of empathy and love is something that we've got to talk to as a society. And and we at our culture are at our best. Even my friends, God bless them, who are fiscal conservatives, it is more expensive to deal with mental illness through jails and prisons like we do now. It's more expensive to deal with our brothers and sisters who are struggling with the disease of addiction through jails and prisons as opposed to help and health care cities have done studies about what's more expensive homelessness mentally ill homeless on the streets or to put them in shelters even though the most most where people think there is no commonality on an issue like abortion there there are people that have found common ground by giving low-income people access to contraceptive care or the like Colorado's dropped the number of abortions in their state by 40 percent we should rejoice in these things but through empowering women so I just, I just believe that that, and and this is where I've had my friends joke with me. How are you going to win an election <laughs> with that love BS? I was saying the words, and I think actually that is exactly the antidote to what we saw. Uh, uh, what we saw yesterday that we that that in fact whoever the next leader is that back to that sense of healing. We need some radical reminders of common cause and common purpose of of the, the how we've achieved things with with only – like here we are with everybody going crazy in this town in a wonderful way about putting a human being on the moon. I think the heavens rejoiced when they saw us reaching up and putting someone on the moon, but we did that because of a, an American majority on both sides of the aisle that agreed to those aspirations. Well, my generation doesn't have a chance necessarily to reach that achievement, but we've got to defy gravity again And and the way you do that, though, is by creating some kind of new American majority that can get back to distinguishing itself in humanity, because we're going to be the first generation of Americans if we don't, with a life expectancy that's lower, and their deaths of despair, suicide, and 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 opioid addiction. We are now letting other societies, through their policies, show a greater love of children. Remember. Love are not words, it's actions. We, do, we, we, we don't have universal prenatal care. We don't have uh, – um, we have maternal mortality rates and infant mortality rates that are higher than any other industrial nation. These are all things that I think are not just the people out there preaching hate and bigotry. This is, as King wrote in the letters of the Birmingham jail, too many people of good conscience who are not showing that through actions, deeds, and engagement.
0: When you were speaking right there about what's happening to people who are incarcerated, to children at the border, to people who are mentally ill, your, your emotions were rising. As you, These aren't for you theoretical issues or just policy issues or just your political stances on uh, a criminal justice reform bill, which you have helped to lead. This is a passion for you, this, this area. But this is... As I saw your emotions rise, this is deeply a matter of what they call the, the BS of love. I love that yeah, phrase. Yeah. You know, uh, that in fine, you know, Jesus said, love your neighbor. Yes. And what it, look at the text, what he's really saying, it's the Good Samaritan text. It means, love the one who's different than you. Yes. That's what that text is all about. And you feel that as a faith issue not just here are the issues I'm interested in.
1: Well, I remember the first time I really read Matthew 25 and suddenly I was the person being spoken to, you know, and I realized I don't live like that. I, I You know, am I living that kind of radical love? Am I in the prison, for example? Have I visited God there? And um, I am keenly aware now that that to me is, I, I, I've I got to speak less about it and be more about it. That's why I just went down to the border when I had this invitation to see, go and see, be there and visit with women who are being physically assaulted, sexually abused because we turned them away from asylum. There's a story I tell all the time. I've told it in graduation speeches because I, it, it, it was a story about my own complacency that God is not looking for me to do the big grand moment he, I feel like he's looking for me to humbly live my truth when the public is not watching. And I tell this story in a graduation about going to a McDonald's drive through which is tough as a vegan, but I desperately wanted <laughs> the French fries before I realized they weren't even vegan themselves. And, I, and it was one of those days where you and I have been there, just tired. You want to go home, unbuckle your pants, sit on the couch and eat. And I got my two McDonald's French fries and then I saw a homeless guy in the trash can. And again – I'm a man of faith and I did what you know, I think God said something Jesus said something about if you have two McDonald's French fries and your neighbor has none, <laughs> <laughs> it's a sermon on the McMountain. I, yes, yeah, yeah. I think it's in the text. And I called them to the car, gave them the McDonald's French fries. Like I think that's the right thing to do. And he took the McDonald's French fries and then asked me the question. Now I'm driven around in Newark by a guy who grew up in the projects Served in the military, came back, became a detective in the police force, a guy straight up from tough, tough background, but beautiful human being. And the guy asks me through my window, I'm in the back seat, he's in the front, thanking me for my fries and says, do you have any socks? Now, I don't carry extra socks in my car. And I look at him and I know working with homeless, that's worth the weight in gold sometimes. and so I just I, I felt bad, but I said, "Sir, I'm sorry. I don't have any socks." And then I turn my head, as you often do if you're being driven, thinking that, "Okay, look away and look move forward." And then my guy puts the car in park, reaches between the steering wheel, kicks off his own shoes, and hands the socks that he's wearing through the window. But I'm three blocks from my home. I have pairs of socks that I don't even wear. But in that moral moment. I did not show the radical love, yes. and and I think that's what life is about. It's a it, 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 so I'm not on my high horse talking about other people not visiting prisons or whatever. I just know that um, we all have a responsibility that we all are not living up yeah. um, to in, in in moments, and that's allowing the real cancer in this country to 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 proliferate, which are the conditions of our neighbors that are going on every single day. We've divided ourselves. We don't even see anymore we're looking forward driving ahead we don't even see the suffering of our neighbor and the necessary for love is knowledge uh uh necessary for 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 empathy is knowledge and we're 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 living in an ignorance of the suffering of our neighbors yeah
0: matthew 25 was my conversion text yeah. and i call it the uh it was me passage he was saying i was hungry yes. i was thirsty I was naked, I was sick, didn't have health care. I was a stranger. The word there, as you know, means immigrant, means refugee. I was in prison. And where were you? I mean, that text transformed my life more radical than anything I was reading in the student movement that I was a part of. Here's the Son of God saying, how you treat those who are most vulnerable is how you treat me. There's never been anything like that said by... The most radical people on the left. Yes, <laughs> that brought me from the student movements to Jesus Christ. And that text, you know, often you see football games. You're a football player, and you see the sign up when they're kicking an extra point. John three sixteen. Yes, right? yes. Uh, and I love. I learned John 3, sixteen as a kid. I want to see Matthew twenty five behind the goalposts, and I want people to say, "Hmm, I wonder what Matthew twenty five is." And they all look and start study, studying Matthew twenty five. And and God, that's. Um
1: Wow, that's beautiful. You and I should try to start a movement. Uh, Not that John 3.16 is not a really great verse, verse, but I think the one that calls us to action uh, is that. I, I would love to start seeing that. Maybe you and I should say that more.
0: I think Matthew 25, which was his last teaching before he was crucified and rose from the grave, his last teaching was Matthew 25. And so that really, to me, is the final test of our discipleship. And you're raising it now in a, in a, as a political candidate. It's interesting. A lot of your colleagues often say to me, I understand. They're saying, well, I don't speak on this as Democrats because I believe in the separation of church and state. And I want to say back to them, what you're doing right here is uh, I believe in the separation of church and state too, but not the segregation of moral values from public life. Right.
1: Right. You. You, you – I think that there's the misunderstanding of the intention of the Constitution there. I do not want my state dictating what my religion is or picking up a religion and telling me that's the religion of the land. But I could no more separate my faith from my my political
0: service uh, than separate my arm from my body. So how can we get that more into the conversation in this 2020 election year, Uh, in the debates, in the conversations? Where 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 faith is is a factor, and it never that we want people who are only Christians or only people of faith that there, or have to believe in anything, but that these principles, these fundamental uh, core values, are critical to the future of our country. So I don't I don't know. I do know that
1: um, I want to just li- be the change I want to see in the world, and talk about faith in a way that is. It calls people in. And one of my favorite uh, songs I heard in in church at Stanford was – in Floyd Tompkins' church um, was, uh, They Will Know We Are Christians By Our Love, By Our Love. They Will Know We Are Christians By Our Love. And so I'm trying in an incredibly imperfect manner to bring faith conversations into every stump speech that I have and let folks know that our civic space is a safe space for – Uh, the expression of authenticity and more than that that the civic gospel of this country which is a radical civic gospel we we say liberty and justice for all that even the roots of these values go into uh, the, the faith traditions of humanity there would be no america if it was not for theologians of generations past struggling with these issues, uh, whether it's the defiance of a Martin Luther uh, uh, in, in in the Protestant Reformation, um, whether it would be uh, the writings of Hillel, mm-hmm. Um, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, we are we are who we are. This th- that we founded this, we broke with the course of human events to put forth into we the oldest constitutional democracy. And we, we, we founded a nation on moral values that we inscribed in a, in a constitution. And by the way, they were radically imperfect geniuses. They wrote Native Americans are called savages in the document. Mm-hmm. Women are, are, aren't second-class citizens. Blacks are fractions of human beings. But the moral voice that they put in there inspired every generation of Americans to try to better live up to the moral foundations of this country. And so for leaders to think they have to leave their religious and moral values aside when they enter this civic space cheapens our civic space i think and yes. lessens the, the 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 strength of it well you've called for a new civic gospel yes i, I am i am i am running in this election not simply because of the, my policy ideas i think that elections are won or lost not on who has the best policy idea but who best speaks to the spirit of this country and sometimes I think Donald Trump spoke to hurt and pain in a way that i uh, I will criticize, but I think our party right now i shouldn't say party our next leader i'm hoping mm-hmm. c- can speak to the values and ideals of our of
0: our common civic gospel you um what's your favorite hymn <laughs> <laughs> um it, it
1: is this basic uh, i shouldn't say i have a favorite one, but i have i have been um I have the sense of surrender in this election uh, um, and a sense of imperfection. And so the very, very common one of amazing grace. Um, I just I just the the concept of grace. I've been thinking about how it's unearned, unmerited, um, how our country right now is in crisis and doing things from Yemen to our own prisons. And and so I'm just I, I feel like I'm. I just want that salvation of grace right now for my nation in a very dark period where I think similar to my parents generation and from Vietnam to the civil civil rights movement we are in a moral moment and I just pray that I can be a part of a larger revival of civic grace in our country um and and that's that's a deep hope of mine that that's what this darkness yields us to that we go from the pit as as uh as as Joseph did uh Then he rose out of that pit and led a nation through crisis. I hope that we uh, have that same journey of going from the pit uh,
0: uh, to salvation. As we both saw in the the, the painful memorial service after uh, the shooting in Mother Emanuel AME. Yes. uh, In Charlotte, uh, President Barack Obama, who was speaking. Yeah. uh, Reached a point where he almost seemed like didn't know what to say and he was feeling these emotions, and he just broke into amazing grace. It was a moment where our country needed that, and
1: I don't know if he planned it or not, but the the spirit was working through him in a, in a powerful way, and and that's why I love our leaders at our best, the ones that I revere, a Lincoln in an inaugural address who speaks to the soul of the nation with malice towards none, charity towards all. Um, I, I'm hoping that as we see leaders ascend in the coming year and a half, that they can not only speak to the head of our nation, but to the heart and the soul of our nation as well. And I think that's the kind of healing and that's the kind of um, hope we need right
0: now. When what's at stake in the nation right now is the soul of the nation and the integrity of faith. Uh, you're one one of those leaders that I'm very grateful for. So well, thank you very much. I'm grateful for this conversation. It is a uh,
1: it is nurturing uh, to my heart and my spirit, and encouraging to me to continue in this way. So thank you
0: very much. Stay strong. Thank you. God bless. Keep you. your spirit strong. Yes. All right. Yes. Thank Blessings you. to you. Thanks. Thanks.